Welcome to the Walk Around Podcast, Danny. How's it going, Nick? It's going good. As always, our goal is to share with everyone the insights, skills, processes, and the leaders that are influencing the retail automotive landscape today. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Funch. We already heard from Danny and excited about today's guest, Chris May. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure uh, to be here always. So Chris May is the director of the Performance Development Center, a professional services department of JMA Group that helps dealers drive results. The auto industry is getting nuttier each year and dealerships need partners that have their best interests in mind. Training, consulting, talent, technology, strategy, sales, service, F&I. The Performance Development Center has experts to help dealers achieve their goals. Prior to his current role, Chris spent three years as an automotive futurist, helping drive JMA strategy. He also spent four years in sales management roles at JM Lexus. Chris's education consists of a master's in international business and a bachelor's in finance from the University of Florida. Despite the certificates from University of Florida collecting dust in his closet, Chris is a diehard Miami Hurricanes fan. Chris can be found at the hockey rink twice a week, committed to pursuing his dream of playing in the NHL while totally ignoring his lack of speed and skill in the process. He is also the father of two young boys. Due to those factors, Chris is currently tired and limping, regardless of when you're reading this. Let's take a walk around with Chris. Should we jump into something real quick? Because I just want to understand from, from Chris what a automotive futurist is. There's a lot we can jump in based on that bio. Yeah, maybe automotive really, futurist. We can pick Chris. that apart. I will say, you know, there's nothing. So when I wrote that versus you reading it, it seems so much longer listening to that. <laughs> Might've been one of the most awkward experiences um, of maybe the week. Don't worry, mine too. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Uh, so futurist, I guess, you know, when I first joined JMA Group, I was put in a little hole in the corner and pretty much, you know, research and theorize about everything that was going on in our business and what were the short-term and long-term impacts of that. So I got relied on in my career, this is probably going back three, four, five years ago. I'm really, you know, prognosticating what you know retail was going to look like over the next few years uh, and other elements in, in automotive as well and see how I could help out different departments, kind of guide their strategy. So uh, futurist is just something, um, it was the easiest way to describe it, I guess. Yeah, I think it. it's interesting that having that role where you kind of help to understand where directionally the automotive industry was headed. How has that kind of experience helped shape kind of your current role? Well, you know, it was a logical progression. So um, I know you read the bio, there's training, consulting, all different kind of professional services that we provide. And look, everyone's trying to future-proof their business. And so it was a natural progression to take all the things that, you know, we felt strongly about where the direction of the industry was going. And our goal as an organization is to make JMA dealer network the strongest network of dealers in the entire automotive space. So the natural progression is, okay, if we have an idea of where the world's going, then let's integrate that into our, our, our training because we touch thousands of students every year across you know, the entire United States. Last year, we touched 49 states. This year, hopefully, it'll be 50. And make sure that you know, we're learning and educating on the best practices across the business. When you talk about future-proofing and you talk about kind of customer experiencing experience and helping dealers kind of do that. You know, you and I had a conversation recently around training and you kind of challenged my perspective a little bit about results. What's the difference? I mean, when, when somebody seeks out training, what are they really seeking there? You know, it's, it's odd because most people think of me as the director of training. I don't like the term training. No one comes and says, Hey, Chris team, come train my people. It's, they are looking to achieve an outcome. 
and they think that training is going to get them from point A to point B. They're trying to become more efficient. They're trying to standardize a process. They're trying to improve performance. And I'm going to train to get that. And what, you know, what I've learned in my short period of time here is that training can play a huge role in that process. Training can play a small role in that process. But very rarely, training is the only element that goes into you achieving the results that your business is trying to achieve. So I try to focus on what are the results and let's get clear about defining what are the outcomes. And then what are the controllables that we have as the Performance Development Center and also within your organization to align all those resources to help you achieve those results as best as we can. So don't love the term training because it seems so myopic, so narrow sometimes when we're having the conversation with a lot of our, our dealers. So in your kind of past life sales strategy, looking at the, the then and the present and the, the future of the dealership and how to kind of future-proof your dealership, the outcomes that dealers are looking for a few years ago, have they changed in what they're looking for today? I would say you used to always use the term evolution. I think there are, there are hard trends in our business that there's inevitabilities around directionally where this business is going. And you see all different dealers, some that are, hey, we'll get there. Hey, it's never going to happen. There's a whole bell curve, a whole spectrum of that. And I think over the last, it's never a straight line, but there is a, a consistency of evolution. You know, if we talk about things like digital retail, it's not going to go from 5% to 50% in a day. It'll be 5% one month. It'll be 6% the next month. It'll be 7% four months after that. It'll be 8%. And so, you know, I would say to answer your question more directly, it's not a lot has changed, but a lot has changed as far as where we are in the, in the spectrum of adoption, how far the technologies have come. But a lot of the major trends over the last three years are just accelerating more than, than changing. So even though that future may look a little ambiguous, right, about kind of what those solutions and how they integrate into a dealership, what can you be doing today as a dealer to help prepare for some of those changes, knowing that it's not the flip of a switch and there's not going to be this huge, massive culture shift overnight? that this is gonna kind of slowly take hold within the, the showroom floor? My one recommendation is to take one small step. So it's a marathon, uh, use whatever analogy you want. This is, uh, we're in this for the long, long haul and it's gonna be a long evolution. The longer you go without taking a step, the harder and longer that next step is going to take. We've seen a lot of businesses have to go through these massive transformation exercises. And those are typically the businesses that didn't change for 10 years. If we take one step every single year towards the direction that we know things are headed, then you are embedding a certain level of agility within your organization that if a major trend ever comes, your business is so much more prepared than the business down the street to handle that just by taking these small iterative steps. And what I mean by that is we mentioned digital before. Maybe you have the most unsavvy website you possibly have in, in the entire dealer network take one step, put a payment calculator on there or like, Hey, you know, uh, check my credit type activities or maybe go from 10 photographs to 15. I don't know what that step is. It's, it's for each individual dealership to decide, but just take a step and sit back down with your leadership team in six months from now and say, what's the next small step that we can take. And then how do we communicate that to our people so that we are just moving at a pace in the right direction. And our people are learning how to adapt and respond as we go along. So I, that's the simplest way that I would make, you know, a very broad recommendation to, to people listening. It's interesting as I reflect a little bit on what you're saying there and think back to earlier in our conversation about when you seek out training, you're really seeking out results. 
it seems to me like there's probably a way to use some sort of uh, program, I think as a whole, to, to help kind of build some agility, resiliency within your team outside of just kind of, hey, I've got this pain point and I need training to solve this pain point. Like, how do you approach the kind of overall holistic like life cycle within a dealership? So pretty broad question. The best way that I would try to answer that is, again, it, it comes down to define what you're trying to accomplish and let's go from there. So in our world, we get a lot of uh, PVR lift. That's great, right? So we have a lot of dealers that call and say, hey, I need one of your F&I boot camps. Well, you know, boot camp is actually, you know, a, a great strategy that we've seen proven time and time again, that F&I jobs, you know, sitting people down in a classroom style setting, going through boot camp is a great accelerator to people's learning. But that's four or five days in somebody's life. If they go back into a store, who's reinforcing, you know, what was learned in that class? You know, who's holding people accountable? Who's going to be sitting down on a monthly basis to see, you know, what their performance increase is looking like. And maybe it's really, really good over here, but maybe they're having trouble selling, you know, the, the maintenance program and who's having those follow-up conversations. So that's an example where I think you've identified the result we're trying to get that training plays a major component in that, but it's never going to take the entire um, initiative on its shoulders and carry it to the finish line. So as a leader in a dealership, you need to think about those other touch points that are going to reinforce the behaviors that you're trying to instill through the classroom style training. And are there things that you recommend or, or there's a ramp up time to that class too? Like what can dealers be doing with their talent within their store to kind of help prepare prior to that class or evaluate prior to that? You opened up a can of worms with the talent conversation, Nick. We could probably- Well, my, you know, my pleasure. Yeah, no, we could spend a whole hour. Everything is an exercise in change management of people. We are people business. Every single training exercise is- I need to instill a set of processes within a person, or, you know, I need um, to change my people's behavior, or I need to improve my people's behavior. We're always trying to change behavior and having a talent management strategy is the best way to, to make those conversations and those changes very easy. So for example, the best dealerships, they lose a sales manager and they're scrambling the backfill. And they're, most of them will post for a job and they'll try to hire for a specific skill set, like a hard skill set of somebody checking that box, they've already done it. When that is not efficient, um, there's a lot of profit lost in that process. There's a lot of you know, morale within the store impacts uh, in that. So the, the best dealerships that we see today have a talent management strategy of, hey, like I know who my high performers are. I also know what their personality types are. I know what sort of motivations they have. I know what sort of gaps that they have. So whether I need an F&I manager six to nine months from now, or whether I need a sales manager, I can expose them to you know, compliance issues today. I can expose them to product knowledge today. I can expose them to deal desking today. You need to be looking at your organization as individual bodies that should always be in motion and in growth. And that's very, very challenging to do, but for those dealerships and those organizations in all of business that can really tackle that problem and really get their arms around it, you know, really are the ones that separate themselves if we want to talk about kind of winners and losers over the long haul. So we talk about the idea of it's accelerating my desired outcome. And a way to accelerate that really is through, you know, the training helps you get from step to step, but kind of building, it sounds like building a culture of flexibility and, and understanding what you can do to improve using training to supplement that. But
but understanding your people and their behaviors with robust change management really helps you make those kind of, I always hear you say those micro kind of commitments, those little things throughout the day that then get you from point A to point B. There, you could do a four day training class and there's great things and results from that, but it's about kind of the daily outcomes that get you to the real desired outcome. Yeah, there's a combination of hard and soft skills at work here at all times. And I think they feed well into each other. So we can learn hard skills. I think the act of whether you have an eight-year associate who is excellent at their job, they should probably do some sort of training every single year because we want to encourage that growth mindset, right? That nobody stays stagnant, that we're always improving and um, developing people. So that's one element that's really, really important to this conversation is making sure that the mindset's correct. The second piece is we want to have defined processes because they all go in hand in hand. So I always say like, Develop a process, but don't develop rules. You want to have established processes and clear job responsibilities for everyone, but then empower them to learn and empower them to be flexible, to be able to read the situation and adjust accordingly. Because what you're alluding to, Danny, is if I can create that environment where people are growing, people have processes, people feel empowered, then the feedback loop of like what the change in the customer conversations are how are the customer engagements changing? And that frontline associate should be feeding the organization on any process changes that should be happening. So I know just jumped around a lot there, but there's kind of this sweet spot that is very hard to achieve that we should be always trying to strive for as, as set processes, but flexible, you know, people who understand their roles, but are encouraged to grow. And if you can get that ball rolling, your, your organization will considerably outpace its competition. Chris, based on on this conversation, you know, we started talking about future proofing and how you can do that as a dealership or being prepared for that. I mean, it sounds like the best strategy is through your people to future proof. Mm -hmm. Do I have that right? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think it's mostly people. Look, there's, there's a few waves coming in our business that I think are inevitable. One is the digitization of our business. Customers doing more online. Our industry is, it's so great, you know, love it. But it's so funny because we were built on this information power dynamic is the more information I have, the more power I have, the less power you have. So I'm going to hold on to my power so we can, you know, have this negotiation that I'm going to win. And those, those roots are so embedded into what we do today, but the future of business, and actually I should say the current of every other business besides automotive is giving away information free to gain trust and credibility with the client to earn their business. And whether dealers are on board with that or not, there are enough players in the marketplace that are going to understand that, that will continually digitize their business in a way that will provide customers freedom and flexibility with which how they, they buy. The second wave is if a dealer looks at their balance sheet today, they spend an exorbitant amount of their expenses on human capital and turnover is notoriously high in our business. And it also, even when turnover is low, it costs a ton of human capital activities to deliver a vehicle. So if we embrace the client, give them what they want, and then teach our people how to do more with less by enabling them with tools, I now have a very nimble and agile dealership that can transact in many different ways with lower, probably lower cost, more flexible associates, you know, because they're not handling these long, big transactions. They're jumping in and helping people buy instead of trying to sell. And so those two components are the two major trends that, again, this isn't a flip of a switch, but this is the direction that the business is heading. And I don't see a lot of other 
data points out there that are, have convinced me otherwise in the last few years. What's interesting, when you kind of strip away the, the information, right, that, that I think you said the information dynamic, where it's like, hey, I have information, the more I have, it puts the power in my hands. When you give that away, I think it, it almost forces you to focus on that customer experience, which I think connects back to meeting the customer in the way they want to be met. And you talk about like outcomes. If my out, one of the, my desired outcomes is I want to be the most trustworthy dealership on the block. What are one of the, the little things that I would do to get there? It would be honesty, revealing information. It would be a customer experience, like you were saying, customer centricity. And it's those little things that add up to as a customer, if I walk in, hey, I, I'm in a, I can trust these people. I know that they are trying to make this a, a trustworthy experience and, and focus on me having my outcome, which is to buy a car where I feel like I, I got a, a good experience. Absolutely. And that's the biggest challenge is, is business today is about personalization. And so how do you, you know, most dealers interact with hundreds of customers and how do I scale a process that still makes each individual customer feel like a one in a million? Yeah. And it's not easy, but that's where having a simplified, easy to understand process that the deviation points are taught as part of the training. So if, for example, if you should have a, a, a linear five-step process, but there should be a step at the very beginning that assesses where this customer is, because the majority of customers have a very strong idea of what they want before they come into the store. Or if somebody comes in with a CarMax appraisal already done, I know dealers today that will still make that individual go through a full eight-step process. And you're eroding customer trust, you're eroding customer experience, and all we want to do is, is create this personalized environment. The funny thing is, is if you just give the customer what they want, they tend to pay more and they will spend less time grinding out your associates, providing more gross profit, more efficient delivery, and a better overall experience for both the customer and your associate. And it's mentally us as an industry turning that corner that is going to be so tough for you know the masses over the next you know five years or so. But it, it is moving in the right direction. And there's a lot of sophisticated dealers that, that do get that. And that's where the training comes in around how do we embed that mindset across our organizations and dealerships? And, and that's a long process, but something we, we certainly are striving to do. So you're a dealer, you recognize that there's this kind of transitional struggle between holding on to that information and customers having more information. How do you approach it? Like what, what would be your strategy in, as, as a dealer? You started with strategy. The way that I operate is always strategy structure are the first okay. two. I need, to, I, need to, I need to clearly define what my strategy is. I need to clearly make sure that I have the right people in the right chairs to go ahead and execute that. And then I need to be an over communicator. And I need to do that in a, in a personalized fashion, right? And I, I think I said earlier, there are many different types of motivators. Somebody that wakes up in the morning and goes into work as they change the way they think about their job. And how do I go ahead and it's going to take time and I might get five people over here and it might take these five people over here another three months. I need to make this connection. I need to really get to the why of what our business is trying to create, communicate that effectively and tie that to the individual motivations of people in my store. So I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of the know thyself and know that the others around you concept of, you know, there's, there's going to be people that work in your store that are you know, money motivated, that are people oriented, that need constant feedback, that there are people that just want you know, power and influence. And there's kind of buckets of different type of motivators. And until you kind of connect your motivations with the job clarity and their motivations, 
And that's a pretty boring exercise. You almost have to repeat yourself uh, until you feel almost dumb repeating yourself. And that's probably when you hit the point where you have to repeat yourself one more time. There's a few different types of, of, of leadership styles. And, and one is very process structured and some are more, you know, getting at people core motivations. And I'm a big believer that people wake up with certain intentions and certain principles that when given the flexibility and standing in front of a customer, even if they don't fully understand the process, that the outcome is going to be what you're trying to achieve. I want to dig into know thyself a little bit and maybe get to know you a little better. I'm super curious about the Miami, Florida relationship. You go to Florida, you're a Miami fan. Mm. Yep. Help me understand. So he's got the shirt and everything. Yeah. It's, I, I wasn't planning on that at all. I feel a little, you know, they got a big game this weekend and, I was just trying to show my, my general support. So I, I went to UF and I went at a very interesting time. So let me, let me take a step back. So, you know, there's always those influential ages when you first to start to get into things. I started really getting into football, you know, 10, 11, 12. And then at the peak was when Miami was coming off probation and then the 2001 team. So I became, I'm a South Florida guy. I became a big Miami fan. I go to UF on scholarship and I go there and I'm the same age as Al Horford, Joakim Noah, the, the basketball team that won two championships. I'm one year older than Tim Tebow. So I was there for five years with grad school. I got to see four championships. I thought I had switched. I did. My grad school year, Tebow's senior year, they were ranked, you know, top five in the country. University of Miami was just awful and maybe revealing too much, but you know, you're at, you're at, you're at the tailgate, you have a few beers in you and you're about to walk into the stadium at that particular moment, you know, where your heart lies. Mm. And I was with a bunch of Florida. It was, it was a pretty dramatic moment. I wish there was like a slow motion camera watching me because you know, you're, you're, you're hanging out with buddies and, and you're about to walk in the stadium. You get this rush of emotion. And I, I literally ran a mile back to my apartment to change from my Florida Jersey to my UF or sorry, my UM Jersey went back to the stadium and I had a bunch of people just kind of shocked and awed uh, about my choice. But I knew that moment that, you know, I'd had to let pretenses go. Like I knew who I loved at that particular moment. And you know, when love reveals itself, you just got to jump in. Right. The rest is history. That's like a romantic comedy right there. I can yeah. see the slow motion, you running down Don't. the street, taking your gators gear off, ripping it off ripping in the street. There we go. Yeah. Just don't, don't show my wife this because I, I probably don't have as good of a story about her as I just did. About <laughs> her. So uh, we won't, we won't. Danny, uh, as we, as we kind of wrap up the conversation today, a lot of interesting things to talk about, but what would you take out of today's conversation? I love the idea of, you know, instilling a growth mindset, encouraging your teams to grow, defining processes, but having a level of flexibility that allows you to still regain trust with the customer. Flexibility and honesty can lead to trust. Following those processes, having a growth mindset and, and letting training kind of be the thing that accelerates you from, from growth step to growth step. I think it's definitely my biggest takeaway. What about you? I think for me, that was a lot, P.S. right there. But Well, um, you know, he said a lot, a lot and it, it was really impactful. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's when you're seeking training, you know, define what your really what your goal is, and if it's results, look at kind of the entire program, not just the one training event. I think number one, and then the importance of kind of future proofing your business through your people, and in order to do that, kind of understanding clearly defining what your strategy is, and, and kind of the rest takes care of. It. So, Chris, this has been great. I appreciate your time. More to come, and uh, thank you. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. I thank you, and uh, anytime. Cheers. Nice, Chris. Thank you. Be sure to keep listening to the walk around as we explore the retail automotive space 
to keep up with the leaders that are influencing the retail automotive landscape today. We really appreciate you joining us today. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and share it with your friends.